There is a sort of curiosity about how on earth we excerpt these because that's not really what you see just looking at the biblical text itself. This is Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. Join us each week as two Yale Divinity School professors look at an upcoming text from the Revised Common Lectionary. This episode, we have Joel Baden, Professor of Hebrew Bible and Director of the Center for Continuing Education, and Andrew McGowan, Dean of Berkeley Divinity School at Yale and McFadden Professor of Anglican Studies and Pastoral Theology. They're discussing Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, which is appointed for the third Sunday in Lent in year B. Here's the text. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, For the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female slave, ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So, Joel, uh, Exodus 20, uh, 1 to 17 is, if anything, too familiar. It's one of these things where we might have to kind of stand back and try and adjust our lenses and ask ourselves why why does this have the place it does in tradition and so forth. But um, it's so it's the Ten Commandments. And, you know, I was in a, a church myself a week ago, which was an old Episcopalian church, which b- by rule, I think, at one point actually had this big uh, wooden table up, you know, next to the altar with the Ten Commandments on one side and the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed on the other. But there is a sort of curiosity about how on earth we excerpt these and treat them as such a, a distinct self-subsistent 
uh, entity because that's not really what you see just looking at the biblical text itself, is it? How, how, do we, how do we turn this or how did we turn this into a piece of text that's treated as a distinct piece with such significance? Yeah. Fascinating story, actually. And I'm not to say that I've, I've got all the parts of it under my belt, but scholars for a long time seemed to think, make the argument that the Ten Commandments are some authentically very early sort of creed, uh, that this is the earliest ethical, national, constitutional sort of statement. And that's why it comes up here and again in in Deuteronomy, right? It's one of the few things that's really repeated twice, almost verbatim. But its importance for us culturally was retrojected into the, it must have therefore been important to uh, in, in ancient Israel and, and of great antiquity. I don't think so. There are there are plenty of uh, plenty of texts that are actually more commonly referred to. Nobody really talks about the Ten Commandments at, after the Ten Commandments. There's mm. a couple of places where they seem to be modeled on, but um, not in some sort of highfalutin like this is the apex of our of our, of our culture kind of way. Mm. It, it is clear historically, though, that you know even that in by the first century, second uh, century BCE. This text was understood as having some sort of momentousness. Mm. It's not surprising, right? It, it is in the course of the story uh, the only law that is spoken directly to the Israelites, or directly in their in their hearing. Everything else is is transmitted through Moses, and so the, it gets this particular kind of valence that made it excerptable. So, I mean, we have from a, a first second century BCE, they found in Egypt this lovely little papyrus that has. The, the Ten Commandments followed by the Shema, uh-huh. right? Hero, hero uh-huh. Israel. As, as if this were, which is understood to be liturgical. And indeed, we have Jewish texts that talk about what used to be, what was at one point the regular practice of reciting the Ten Commandments during every prayer service at, at, at that moment, right? Uh-huh. At the time of the Shema. But it is, uh, it's y'all's fault uh, yeah. <laughs> that the Ten Commandments really got excerpted. And y'all's starts, I mean, maybe... Starts maybe with Jesus, who already started excerpting, right? Mm-hmm, who already mm-hmm. took this out of context. You know, mm-hmm. what is the, you know, what is the, what is the law, right? So the great, the thing about greatest commandment is yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. Um, but really, I mean, historically, what, and I, I mean to go off on a rant right here off the beginning, but what happened was uh, Christianity, as you well know, came along and said, I mean, in the form of, I mean, Augustine says it very openly, and, and others too, right? The only law that still counts for us is the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. in part because of this direct discourse with the people mm-hmm. sort of thing. It's not, it's unmediated. Um, uh, and all the rest of the Mosaic law is defunct for, mm. for Christianity. At which point, you know, that's an excerpting right there. At, at which point, though, Jews stopped excerpting it. Ah, right. In, right. This, in this amazing, in in this amazing yeah. moment, and and I mean, we have discussion in the Talmud, in the you know the great Jewish collection of, of legal discourse, about like uh, we we used to we used to read this every every time we prayed, but now because of the right aspersions of the heretics, we don't do it anymore. Essentially, the notion actually the notion that the Ten Commandments are a separate, more important law in Christianity forced Jews to say, no, they're not. 
they're not separate or, or different at all. They're they're just ten out of the many many laws in the in the in the book, and, and that's and that's all they are. Right. So no, I mean, both of those views could be subjected to criticism, of course, couldn't they? Because as you've already said, there's a there's a bit of a seam in the text because those are spoken directly to Israel. Uh, from the the point of view of the Christian Christian exception and exaltation of them, there's sort of two things going on there. One is there's there is that hint in the text of a divine discourse, but they also fit pretty well to the way that early Christian authors try and deal with the dilemma of what to do about the law in that they sort of they have a level of abstraction sufficient to claim that they represent a moral law which can be separated from a ritual law. Now, whether that distinction has any legs in the end is another whole question, but it, it sort of works like that, at least conceptually, doesn't it? It's not just a literary difference, but also a kind of a, a conceptual distinctiveness, at least of sorts. Is yeah, that fair? I mean, it's, it's generically different, to be sure. The, the rest of the laws don't don't look like this. As, as you say, I mean, when it's not just Christians, right? Jews also, Philo... Had done so, yeah. Right, uh, Philo of Alexandria in the first century, trying desperately to make Jewish law, like, comprehensible to his Hellenistic audience. Yeah said, yes, you all understand, the Ten Commandments are, are super easy to understand, and everything else, these are simply, these are like super categories for all of Jewish law, and I can put all the rest of the law into these into these ten categories. So essentially playing the same kind of uh, same kind of role. So if we went back to Exodus 20 at the level of its own composition, there is a generic distinction here. There is a bit of a seam in the text. If you were to try and re-articulate that in a sense that, you know, you, you were trying to say, here's what I think was actually going on for the authors or composers of this text, how would you articulate the difference between that divine discourse and what follows? So here's the complicated part that I'll start with, and I'll only mention very briefly for the sake of, of mentioning it. I don't think the Ten Commandments are actually original to Exodus, which makes all sorts of things very, very complicated. I think they they are original to their their second appearance in Deuteronomy. That is, I think the Ten Commandments are, are were composed by the authors of Deuteronomy for Deuteronomy. So it's a little bit of D that appears in the midst of what's otherwise. What, what's the rest of the context it, there? It would be the the E source, but the, it's yeah. you know the you have the it's this it's still the story of the mountain and the you know, the getting of law and the golden calf, that's all original stuff. I think that when Deuteronomy retells that story, it, it introduces this idea of the Ten Commandments. And then somebody later on says to themselves, when they're reading the Exodus story, I'm missing a big part that I, that I know from later. And so it sticks it in. That sort of complicated backstory aside, one of the things that that does for the text is it really draws actually a, a, a very sharp distinction between what is the, like, I think the central legal part of Exodus for the original text, which is to say not the Ten Commandments, but the covenant code that comes next, right, in chapters 21 through 23, which is, you know, which, I th- which is the law on which the covenant is made at the mountain, according to, to, that, to that text, which raises the question that then, if the covenant is made on the basis of this longer law code, what are the Ten Commandments? You know, we think of them as as law, but they're not really, they're not presented as law. In fact, the text says very clearly, uh, God says to Moses, I'm going to talk with you in the hearing of the Israelites so that they can trust you. And the thing that is said in the hearing of the Israelites between God and Moses is the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, therefore, aren't the aren't in the original sort of sense of the text, the the coven, the content of the covenant, they're like the proof of Moses's prophetic status in anticipation of the, of the of covenant. The co- which come. has a sort of a, more like a, a, a preamble that establishes the authority of the witness. 
That's right. And and also, you know, for the people who hear it, they've now they've now heard God speak. And what have they heard God say? Laws. I mean, okay, generic laws. I mean, relatively, you know, understandable, pithy. But, you know, when God speaks, and when God speaks to Moses, what does God say? This is the kind of thing God says. So that later when Moses comes and says, you'll never believe what God told me. Mm. And it's a bunch of laws that people are like, that sounds like the kind of thing that God would say. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Mm. So, which is, none of which actually, I think, comports particularly well with the way that the Ten Commandments have, have made have their way into, right, right. In, into, into our culture afterward. But I, I do think that they still serve as something of like a, a password, as it were. And it sounds from the way you've put it that they, they play an important role, at least in the complete text, of authenticating the role of Moses himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and you know, I can't help when I think of the Ten Commandments think about the ways that they're monumentalized and and instrumentalized in in culture today, and particularly in, in in Christian culture today, in which they also in their in their in their physical presence, in their visual presence, the way that they also serve a, a function of authorizing. Oh yes, yes, true. Thanks for listening. You can visit our website for more Bible study resources, galebiblestudy.org. Chapter, Verse, and Season is a production of the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. It's produced by creator and managing editor Joel Baden, production manager Kelly Morrissey, associate producer Aidan Stoddart, and I'm your host and executive producer Helena Martin. And our theme music is by Calvin Linderman. We'll be back with another conversation from Chapter, Verse and season.